Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of comedy, self-help and business collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and today's episode is called Love in the Time of Covid. The subject of couples therapy comes up a fair bit in today's conversation, and research tells us that of those who do it, it helps an estimated 70% of couples, despite there being numerous high-profile articles in everything from the New York Times to the Huffington Post to The Guardian, casting doubt as to its effectiveness. Nearly 50% of married couples go to marriage counselling at some point, with about 30% of those having a mixed agenda, with one person wanting to save the relationship and the other one looking for a noble exit. Ryukatsu, which means tear-seeking, is a Japanese therapy service in which women pay to have a good cry with a handsome man who then gently dries their tears. Oh my. Everything was fine until I clicked join with computer audio. Should I leave and rejoin? Yes, yes, yes. Those are my guests today, comedy and showbiz couple, Jeff Lloyd and Sarah Barron. The 8th century Belgian saint, Saint Gumerus, apologies for the pronunciation, is the patron saint of hernias and difficult marriages. I think it was Al Jankovic who said that like a difficult marriage, a hernia may be something you just have to live with. In the Faroe Islands, girls traditionally present their boyfriends with a willy warmer to see if he is serious about their relationship. If he rejects it, this means he is not yet ready for marriage. If only I'd known. Yes, can everyone hear me? I can Great, hear there you. Great, we go. Okay, then we go. That was the issue. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Lloyd is a radio and TV broadcaster and the co-host of Reasons to be Cheerful, one of the UK's most popular podcasts with him and Ed Miliband, as well as the acclaimed weekly humour podcast Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Sarah Barron is right up there with the UK's most talented female redheaded comedians. And having started out hosting New York's legendary storytelling night, The Moth, she's since had award-winning solo shows and appeared on pretty much everything from Live at the Apollo to Would I Lie to You to Frankie Boyle's New World Order. We talked about parenting, parents, fertility, compatibility, midlife crises, homeschooling, special needs, origin stories, love at first sight, marriage, family, and sobriety. But I started by asking them if they had ever been to couples counselling. No, Sarah, Sarah I want to, wants to, but Jeff doesn't want to, which is very interesting because he's the kind of person who seems very evolved and open. Well, I'm very open to, to therapy. Here's, here's what I think. I think for us to have couples counselling, we would need to find one of those psychologists who somebody like a Woody Allen would see, like at a really high level, because you are so self-aware and you fancy yourself as a therapist i do that i think you would run rings around a lot of people that's very sweet of you darling and you would ma- so manipulate you, the situation so to your would, own ends i would so yes. you'd be a couples therapy hustler and jeff would just be an innocent victim yes of exactly yeah ganging up yes yeah you you would use you would weaponize the therapy i think this is genuinely why he doesn't want to do it is it really i, I feel so. like i mean we could do we could use this as kind of couples therapy i think the first thing they would say if this was couples therapy they would say so why are you both here so so what would you say yes to that? why are we both here I, th- I think both of our attitude towards therapy is like it, uh in an ideal world everyone would just do it as an ongoing thing yeah like you go to therapy like you go to the gym like just sort of and my mother is a therapist and there was a stage there where I feel like one of her specialties was couples counseling. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm right about this, but I think it was. And what she would say, which you hear many couples say, or you hear many therapists say, is that like 
the problem with it is that like a lot of people come too late. Whereas like mm-hmm. if it was just a thing you started started off around a couple years together, then you'd never wind up. You sort of like you don't break a bone and then fuck up as you're trying to reset it. You're just sort of in this groove of good communication. I talked to a therapist once in a social context and she she did a bit of couples therapy and she said that if a man has initiated the therapy, he's using it as an escape route. He's using it to legitimize his escape route. That explains a lot about what's happened in my life. I don't know if you're being funny or if you're being serious, but that's no, like I'm being serious. Women, very broadly speaking, go into couples counseling because they want to stay in a relationship and they want to make it better. And men use it as sort of a good guy exit strategy. So sort of a performance of, oh. I know this is over for me, but I'm trying to you know, exit in the least traumatic and seemingly most thoughtful way possible. There are going to be people listening to this going, oh, shit. Yeah, we were saying yep. in the marriage. It's so and-, and I even think sometimes I've said this to Jeff that sometimes when I'm like, I just, you know, if it was just completely up to me, I would get us in couples counseling. And I think he can't. I think you can't quite like because your experience has been that it's a way of exiting. I think that some part of me thinks that maybe you think it's about me trying to leave. No, no, we're just trying to me make us happy. I don't. And I, I, I was joking when I said, like, you are so therapized that the level of person that we would need I'm not would be so difficult. Therapized, no, well, she just does an American accent. Yeah, it I just lived in New York it. for 15 yeah, years yeah. and I'm Jewish yeah. and I have an American accent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like to use therapize as a, as a verb like that. But that but, like but, but right we, we, there, was, there was something a while ago. It's, it's the only thing like this we've, we've ever had where we had to have a semi... I've turned American. Semi. Oh. Semi. Semi. They'd throw you out of the north of England for that shit. Yeah, the, yeah. the amount of words I've forgotten how to, I, I can't remember which is the British pronunciation because I think I've, I've got a very feeble mind and I'm very easily influenced. So, for example, the word amenable, I can't remember if it's amenable or amenable because you say it one way and I've said it the, the other way. Are you blaming Sarah for your loss of memory? I just wanted to Well, check. I do worry about my cognitive function generally, but, you know, you're quite esteem, you know, you're a bit of a steamroller of a person. Yeah, yeah. But a- anyway, the, the reason I mentioned all this is we, we went to kind of like a semi-counselling thing a while ago on Zoom about a very specific issue to do with fertility. And I think both of us found that we have had so much therapy in the past that, that kind of level doesn't doesn't yeah, work like, for Yeah, like it us. was for people who have never talked about their feelings. Okay. So and it was, I was a little bit like your kids starting at, uh, you know, like one of my kids going to infant school when they've just graduated university. Yes. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. I'm sure it would have been okay for some guy who's like never cried, but the two of us were sat there being like, yeah, 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 we, kn- we know our feelings are okay. This is So that was specifically in regard to trying to have a kid as opposed to anything. Yeah, like, like we were sort of broken. like really thinking about a second child and making the decision to not and we were like oh uh-huh. why well you know i was like okay there are people whose job it is to advise through this very specific question from like we've we did ivf so it's not like oh what if i'm a little drunk tonight and we have sex and i'm ovulated like that's just never going to happen for us so like the idea of a second it's, it's kid, all down to me but yeah, by Jeff's the way I have very uh, um, it's not not that they're not plentiful Weak swimmers yeah exactly uh, the the motility yeah. is very poor which i think you would guess by yeah. looking at me Men always try and say that it's the motility. They don't ever want to say there just isn't the volume. They're like, there's loads, but they're just a little weak. <laughs> so it's funny. so funny because I think of myself as somebody who wouldn't care about that. And yet there I am conforming to a male. Well, I actually, I think you don't care about it. I think that you know that it's funny yeah. that you have a lot of sperm that's very lazy yes. because of your own relationship to your own physicality. And it yeah. just suits, but... Um, anyway, so you had very um, you had very keen eggs, but no. Sperm I, was, I think that they, were, they were medium keen, but no, medium you, keen. I think your 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 eggs were, were you know they were, they were fine. On, they were there are these form. women no, who are you, very you fertile. You have it in your head. You, you Sarah's had it in her head the whole life that you you would have fertility issues. When it turned out, you were absolutely fine. Yeah, I was, was absolutely me. fine. Was I wasn't me. excelling, but I wasn't failing. You only need to be good enough with the fertility yeah, issues. You just right? need to you be just fine. Need enough. You don't need to win that race. So you guys had um, so you had the counselling for that, and you decided not to have it because you're. How old is your little boy? He's five. five. I'm forty eight, and 
um, we had these frozen, they call them embryos, they call them blastocysts, blastocysts which is the stage yeah, before I've heard about these And they've been sitting in a freezer. Every, every year we have to make a decision, oh, do we keep them in the freezer or do we donate them to medical Do you pay for science? the freezer? Yeah. yeah. We do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we donate them to medical science? And you felt like this year was the crunch on that. I just, I had this, like, I'd sort of, I'd sort of accepted that probably it wasn't going to, we weren't going to go again. And I I always say that I feel like I was like 54% let's have another kid. And Jeff was like mm -hmm. 46, I'd rather not. But it, it really was both of us feeling mm -hmm. really ambivalent about it. And then I had this, whenever it was that like the, the UK variant was getting so bad and it was like, oh, the fringe is not happening again. This Like not in a serious way. And I was running all these numbers and looking and I was like if I got pregnant now like we'll never do another whole round of it but like if we took those three put them up see what happens and I got pregnant like I we we could do it like I could mm -hmm. go up to Edinburgh in 2022 we could you know mm -hmm. and um and I was like okay let's I know, I gotta know if there's like a baby somewhere in there. I just gotta know. So mm -hmm. let's go for it. And then, and basically, what I feel is that from that moment when I was like, "Let's go for it," to me being like, "I can't do this." I wanted mm -hmm. two kids, but the moment of having that, like, I wanted our son to be my second kid. That was going to mm -hmm. be the workable timeline. Okay. We didn't get yep. pregnant for years because we had this issue, and I made peace with that. So. The time has come and gone. It doesn't quite work. A lot of things have suggested that we're, you know, we're well suited to being a family of three. But I think I just had to get there on my own instead of feeling like it was a decision that I was like allowing someone else to make for me or letting the circumstances dictate, you know, being like, no, I don't. It's not right for me. So, so that's a big. So that's a lot because it's a bit like when you huge. decide horrible if, and, and it's it's the not the loss of well in a way it, it's to say it's loss of hope sounds like I'm saying what you have isn't more than no, no, enough no, that, and yeah, that's so it's not but there is the loss of a you you say goodbye to a vision of what you thought your future might be yeah and that I sometimes think is what you're grieving when things really change in life even if you know you've made peace with the decision yeah and I think you're grieving also this sense of like all the big there's like this moment that you reach which I guess is essentially the midlife crisis where you're like Oh, I I know the answer to all the questions. When you're 22, you're like, will I get married? Who will that person be? Will I have kids? Mm -hmm. Will I? There's just all these questions. Then you get to some point where you're like, oh, this is just it now. This is just who mm -hmm. I'm with. These, is just, you know, and that I think is traumatic. But I, but but um. The fact that it's traumatic doesn't mean you're supposed to have another kid or doesn't mean that you're mm -hmm. suited to it. And also this way I started thinking about it was I was like, if I'm looking at these, thinking about these three blastocysts is like, but what if, what if my daughter's in there? Well, that's more like, then I have to think, what if my three children are in there? And mm -hmm. you would have to put a gun to my head and pull the trigger to make me have three more children. <laughs> so like, if I'm going to personify that in that way, then be like, I'm throwing out three babies. Like, I'm not, yeah. I can't think about this like throwing out a baby. It's throwing out yeah. three. And I just didn't want to get into this thing of like, we tried one and that didn't work. But what if it's just like, no, they were, we were so lucky to be able to do IVF. We're going to give these to science and let them, let the field progress as our way of saying thank you for the fact that it existed in the time that we needed and that we were able to afford it and um, make sure our son has a close relationship with his cousins done and now you can write the kids book the three blastocysts <laughs> honestly think, i'm um, like i'm like should i write an essay does the guardian need to hear what i have to say about oh, the guardian needs to hear this shit about sure. about what yeah. it's like to throw out blastocysts maybe anyway i we think spoke there's to a, this an, like a fertility counselor regret aversion therapy it's called is that regret what it's called aversion yeah. i really wish they did have that for dating i, really, I would be in and out of that every six months yeah and they our doctor was like yeah i think you should speak to someone and i was like yeah that sounds right there are people who have this is a very specific situation and yet millions of people must go through it and you know because what i kept saying to jeff is what i want the outcome that i want is not a second child the outcome that i want is to put all those blastocysts up me 
and confirm that there's not a baby in there. That will bring me peace. And then I thought, oh, if you really don't want another child, don't put blastocysts up you. So you need to then make peace with throwing out these things. Um, so to have the experiment to make peace, you could have ended up with three babies instead of what you really wanted, which was uh, certainty. Yeah, exactly. Very well put. And That's a hard um, trade-off. We, so we spoke to this woman and uh, poor thing. Like it just started off and I was like, ooh, this is a hard this is a hard job. Like you have to get to know some people, like work out who they like. It started off. And in the first 15 minutes, I had a lot of sympathy for her in terms of thinking about how difficult that job must be to get to know someone, figure mm-hmm. out who they are, figure out what to say to them, figure out how to help them find language, et cetera, et cetera. And then by about the 22 minute mark, I was like, she's bad at her job. Like she's mm-hmm. picking up on zero indications of like, it's it's people reading, right? Like you're trying to work out who someone is quickly. She was very bad. I, th- I think at that. it's unkind to say she was bad at her job. Well, it I might think be she's unco- probably good for ninety five percent. No, no, of the no, 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 no. Go and see. No, her. no, no, no. I, th- I think like what we both wanted was for her to stop the session. And say, can I just say the amount of emotional intelligence that you're both displaying in this? It's unlike anything I've ever encountered. Was it a one off session for that? Yeah. Yeah, and so you I just, let go of regret, a life changing regret in one session with someone who's never met you before. Right, it's a tall order. And I just, you know, Jeff was saying, "Oh, it's unkind to say she's not good at her job," and that's a little bit fair. So I think that's just like any is, therapist you ever see, you got to find the right fair. one for you. And this was just like. But one. what I don't agree with about what you said is the idea that like ninety five percent of people would have had their needs met by her. I don't think that's true. I think that like. 40% of people would have... Again, if you were someone who'd never been in therapy and you never cried and but everything about... But that's probably about... more like 90% of people than it is like 40. I don't think it is. It's it hard is. for us to know as Guardian readers who live all in the same bit of London. Yeah, it's very hard exactly. for us to get a read on the national... Although, guys, do you think it's a bit like... Um, I guess doing that job, it is a bit of a poison chalice. It's a bit like trying to run a country during a pandemic. And, you know, somebody could have done it a lot better than our guys, but maybe it's really hard to do it really well. So how could you in an hour I'll I'll grant both of you another point. Fine. 95% of people would have had their... But it was as though... That was a terrible negotiation. I know, but I'm just showing that I can admit when I'm wrong. But then did you know, I just felt like she wasn't registering us at all. It felt like she had a script and regardless... Regardless of what we were saying, she was just looking to her next prompt on the yeah, script. Yeah. You can you concede that point? So yes. it was she was listening to respond rather than listening to learn. Mm. Yes, Callie. I'd like to throw that shit out there at this point mm. in the podcast. So you, so you, how long were you guys together before you had your little? Can I say your little boy's name? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's Jean, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Good. I like the way you're like, yeah, get go. So, so suddenly I was like, it. oh my god, it seems like we're testing her. I would never do that to yeah. somebody. Yes, yeah. his name is Jean. I just wanted to make sure you were all right because there was a stage. I guess he's too young. There was a stage where my kids are like, they were like, okay, it's bad enough. You've taken up stand up comedy in your forties instead of just screwing your tennis coach like all our friends. <laughs> oh, but do not use our names. Uh, oh, that's so, interesting. But he's too, yeah, he's I do. Too I do worry care. about that. I mean, you know, I, 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 but I've never thought of it particularly in terms of his name. I know. That's an interesting point. Mm. Okay, well, we'll so both we've, be anyway, filled with anxiety Jean. about that now, but good to <laughs> yeah, know it's good. what's coming. We can't put the genie back in the bottle. No. So, Jean, uh, so you had, so how long had you been together when you had Jean? Five years. Together five years by the time I gave birth. Right? Actually, okay. closer so, to six, wasn't it? No, five. Five. Yeah. So half your relationship has been with a kid and half yeah. of it was without a kid. And then when it went into your relationship, did you get married? 2013 so I think we've been together sort of two and a half years yeah yeah so it sounds like that's a kind of like you've done the kind of classic trajectory everything wasn't yes. acceptable like if you were to say no grown up that regret uh, clinician wouldn't be able to say you haven't played by the rules oh no very rule following in terms of very, time, timeline very, very scandalous very unscandalous and did you find that and so you've had and of that 10 years you've had you know year and a half lockdown so you've had the kind of it's and and that happened to be with your kid who did or didn't need homeschooling did did and only in the third lockdown so he was in nursery yeah which was the sweet spot right because they stayed open well they didn't didn't. first month and a half or two months looking back on that first lock so in 2020 first lockdown we had him with us from late march until early june 
looking back on that now, it was absolutely fine because the weather was glorious and there was no expectation of what we were supposed to be teaching him. Cut to January 8th of 2021, all hell broke loose because by then he was was in reception reception by then. Exactly. So you actually had to follow some kind of ridiculous curriculum because really, honestly, what are they learning in reception apart from how to socialize? Yeah. But he, so you had, what did you have to teach? Did you have to do phonics? Is that a thing? Phonics. And then there'd be uh, book activities, but they wouldn't be physical books. There'd be PDFs that the school would be putting up on Google Classroom. And what I I learned, because I think we are sort of equally close with our son, but I think what I learned is my relationship is more akin to playmate than parent and so you're fun dad well yeah but I think you know the downside of that is I just don't know how to motivate him to do anything that he doesn't want to do and that was most schoolwork, and I just found it incredibly frustrating it was just but if you think about the Scandinavian model you know he wouldn't be going to school for another three years and and those kids seem to do okay they do but they're all in the Scandinavian model that's what I I, I love that Scandinavian model and uh, you can't put Scandinavia into Stoke Newington although they fucking tried haven't they (laughs) they should they fucking should but uh unfortunately that's not you know that's not the the parameters were operating wasn't available and was it um because my my kids stepped mum is a teacher she's a she's a sort of um she's in the private system but she's a so prep school teacher so young kids and I know the pressure it was on the parents as well so she took the approach of how can I try and give the parents stuff that they want to do with the kids so like if there's a family that want to do more drawing or more whatever let's try and do that but it sounds like you were just given like here's the here's the kind of whole fit the square peg in it don't worry about how I you mean do they that. were reasonable like it, it was just sort of like it, it got to a stage where they set up sort of multiple hours of coursework or whatever every day. And I was just like, I can't do this. So what we'll do is we'll show up. If you're giving this to me so that I feel that you as a school are doing everything you can so my child doesn't fall behind and you think I can't figure out what to do with my time, no thank you. I don't need it. I can Mm -hmm. figure out how to fill our time and make sure that things don't go crazy with screen time and all of that. But Mm -hmm. I just don't think that trying to wrestle my son in front of a computer for four hours a day is more beneficial than taking him to the local park and letting him run around as long as I can. While you drink vodka on the bench. While I drink vodka on the bench, exactly. So so we we sort of, we tried to show up to like roll call every day and would try to do one assignment a day. Like even now talking about it, I feel my, like it was so, it was it was the I worst thing I've been through. Is it, it, was, it. it was horrific and it made you it sounds... feel terrible as a parent. It made me worry about my son. It was just awful. And I went a bit it nuts. It sounds like. I went a bit nuts with some of the assignments ahead. as well. Did you get a bit competitive? Well, not competitive. It's not because he, he was disliking nodding, it so say, much. I thought, how can I like make did. this fun for him? And they'd often say in the notes, you know, if you want to upload a video. So I ended up doing these ever more elaborate um, video productions, which I would make with him in a very basic form. When you say with him, he was watching Peppa Pig and then making the videos. <laughs> well, kind of almost. I mean, we, we they'd ask for videos based on stories or whatever topic they'd be learning. So I'd talk to him, record some very basic raw footage which he had collaborated on, and then I would spend upwards of 12 hours uh, editing it in it iMovie. It wasn't really 12 hours. We, I think one of them was, the Batman one was. Wow, using green Batman screen one. graphics wow. grams so that's what you might I, I suspect that that might happen more in north london than in some other parts of the country right. the, sort of the right. 12 yes. hour edit yes. green screen yeah i mean some people might even say i didn't have a green screen yeah I yeah mean, I, don't no, surely, edit. I mean it's hard not. to imagine there are people like that so this I, I was just thinking about learning styles and and you know um or sarah you know my son's autistic so he's autistic and he's got extreme add attention deficit disorder and at that age I wouldn't have known any of that so I would have had if this had been Jake I would have had a four-year-old at home who does have special learning needs I wouldn't have known he had special learning needs and nor would the school and I'd have been trying to cope and thinking he was a failure and I was a failure and I'm just wondering how it is for people who because you don't even know what your kids makeup is yet well, for we sort learning of do. Right? so Gene has special learning needs he has been thus far you know he's had all this testing done because basically there's some very apparent 
issues with his gross motor skills. Like that's been clear to Mm -hmm. us for a while. And then once he started school, it became clear there was some fine motor skill stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So he's like a dyspraxia type thing. Possibly. Possibly. It's right now what the, the best way that I can explain it is it's like there's a way that an average child's reflexes get incorporated into their system and that hasn't mm-hmm. happened for him. Mm-hmm. So just the, the ability to jump in a certain way, which I think there is a lot of overlap with that and autism. He's yeah. had all these tests done and um, it seems that, you know, and I'm very aware of not talking like an autism diagnosis is a bad thing or a good thing. It's just this neutral thing that he has been diagnosed as not autistic from what they can tell so far. But all these issues do manifest in, in stuff to do with concentration. Yeah. But he's so he's sort of got all this stuff and we, he sees an occupational therapist every week. He just got glasses because he has this eye that wander, you know, all these sorts of things. But the point is, he has special needs. Mm-hmm. And the addition of that, where I'm like, we already don't know how to teach a child. Mm-hmm. Layer on top of that, this kid who had like, we need pros in, in every, you know, professionals mm-hmm. at every available opportunity. And it just... And we're good at playing with him and good at loving him, but the teaching stuff was just a nightmare. Namaste, motherfuckers. In terms of you looking at your marriage now, so when you first met and you became a an item, as the young people don't say, how would you have how would you have described your relationship in the in the beginning? I think you'd just been on the dating scene for an exhausting amount of time. You were conscious of your your own ambitions personal ambitions and you were ready to make a compromise. I was ready to compromise. Yeah. yeah. Time to settle. He'll yeah, do. Exactly. I feel like, you know, this is, it's like, let's bring it back to the guardian. You know, do you ever read that 10 question, like that interview that they do in the guardian on a Saturday in the magazine? Always. So I always do. And you're like, then there are the people who every question is a joke and you're like, or every answer is a joke. And you're like, that was funny, but like, this has been very unsatisfying. I've gotten nothing out of you on that. I feel that's what you just. I know, but I'm also so you conscious. were. You no, were. Here's, here's the thing. Every time I go oh, on a so podcast, he's the guy answering the questions with jokes, and we're but, learning. Yes, nothing. but but it's, it's born out of a place of every time I go on a podcast, I think, oh, um, I'm I, I'm going to enjoy talking to such and such a pe- person, and then afterwards, I think, oh God, I treated it like a therapy session. I was incoherent. Oh, I was self serious. So I'm trying. So you're just going to derail this one yeah. and make it. So no, I just all you're doing. Is I want to. I want to be more fun on podcasts. That is you being fun on podcasts that's you you're intuiting the needs of the interviewer and you're meeting them mm. as an empath but I, d- I think so seldom in real life do people what are you doing that for i don't know you're doing like a, a very primate-ish it's a visual tick I, were you doing one of the primates that jake's gonna yeah, that's what it was all the zoo talk but no but, yeah. but here's the truth kelly <laughs> here's the truth he met me and he was like this is what i've been looking for my whole life that's the th- what's the thing, true. The thing I said, and in, I um, pretty, and I think I felt the same as well. Once I settled into the drama of our story, I don't want to. I feel like we keep getting onto these topics and then deciding we don't want to talk about it. So, for no, example, not- like Jean's se- special needs, Jeff was in another relationship when he and I met. I don't think we want to go too much into that. So, just when I say Jeff met me and was like, "Oh my God, woman of my dreams." And I say, oh, that is sort of how I felt. I was just adjusting to like, oh, there'll be a little more drama surrounding the meeting of this man who's clearly like going to be my husband. So what you're you're not saying that you were thinking about a polyamorous relationship. It was definitely going to be a trade. It was going to be a trade. <laughs> we were, we were never going to be a throuple. No, we were never going to be a throuple. I, I respect it as an idea and I'm sure there are some people for whom that works very well. Tiring However, though, don't you think? Gosh. Whenever I've watched the documentary or read an article, there always seems to be two people who are enjoying it more than the other one. I've, it's I've never yet like to be porn. convinced. Mm. I've yet to be convinced. But um, no, what it is, and this is interesting, I guess, with regards to your jobs and to some extent mine, I, I try and think about what is my story and what is somebody else's. Yes, that's very wise. And what's the what's the famous quote? I'm sure you have told, it's not Nora Ephron or somebody. It's not everything's copy. Um, oh, everything's copy, no, Nora Ephron? Well, yeah, I think there's some, some other quote that you've said about how the people in your life become collateral damage. If I think it's specifically to like do to with be being an a artist writer. Is to be a monster. Yeah. Or to be a good writer, you have to be a monster. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. One of those yeah. ones. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think I have heard a lot of good stand-up and watched a lot of good films and, and read 
stories where that's definitely the case where people telling their story is so compelling or funny or whatever but I wonder how much how how successfully you can do that and unless in terms you're... of your story being different to Sarah's no no in terms of so Sarah just mentioned worth... that um I was in a relationship when we met which was kind of on the skids and had broken up a few weeks before and it's you know like taking off a plastic it doesn't always come off in one go never does and also suddenly the makeup sex is so good you're like oh why wasn't it like this when we were together when there's jeopardy and when it's illegal it's amazing but but then you know I'm conscious that there was somebody else around at the time who felt pain through all of that and I struggle a little bit with talking about that too much because the I think well that's what I'm trying to not talk about it too much but just to say context for how you yeah just to give context that I think we I felt very in love very quickly but it was more tumultuous than it might otherwise have been because there was this other party involved who was going through a lot of pain and Jeff was going through a lot of pain so so that was that was our origin story. I think so. The- you had an um. So there was an unavailability, like so, literally in a way. Jeff wasn't. Have you always gone for the slightly unavailable? Was that a part of the thing, or was I that just an? English no, it was. It was. I mean, it wasn't. It kind of wasn't like that. Um, the th- thing I was I trying said- to give it a kind of Freudian spin, but it was more practical than that. I can see from <laughs> Sarah's no, face. She's like, no, I had to wait for her to clear out the way, and then I came in. It was <laughs> the the thing I said in the um the speech at our wedding was. Sarah and I, uh, we we met when I was in New York working for a week and we went to see a... So you met over there, I assumed. I don't know why. I assumed you'd met over here. And the first time I saw her face, it was like, you know, the song, the first time ever I saw your face, which I play for you on the anniversary every year. Very romantic. What a a beautiful face. She was on stage. She was on stage hosting a storytelling night in New York and I just thought she was... Was this the moth or another one? Was Um, the moth? I thought she was just one of the greatest stage performers I'd seen. I thought this woman is brilliant. Um, I was unable to put an age on you because your hair was doing something kind of interesting. It would turn out he thought I was a minimum of 10 years older than I was at the time because he wow. found my hair well, it, was, it was confusing your vibe and what you were saying were so a vibe of a, a, of a woman in her 30s. That night. And your hair looked like um, the, the mother-in-law from, I don't know if it was Bewitched or I Dream of Genie or one so of those So you were shows. like, she's a lot older than me, but I'm broad-minded so what's, what's, and she, what's touch, going, she spins what's, a good yarn. What is yeah, going yeah. on? Yeah, That is what he thought. And then, then Sarah, yeah, then that's we, nice of him. we had a guest drop out on the radio show I was doing over there. So we booked Sarah, because I thought she was so magnificent. At the end of that old woman will have some nuggets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of that, I was saying, "Oh, well, you know, it's great to see you. And uh, can you recommend me some places?" Sarah said, "Oh, if you're around, um, let's go." Crucially, for a when I came onto your radio show, you thought I was much cuter because she had a because hat on. I, it was winter and I hadn't, so I had a, like a little knit cap on. So my hair. And my outfit were not aging me in the way that they had to. I was able to place you. And it was like, oh, wait, actually, no, she's cute. Yeah. yeah. So um, So you were like kooky millennial. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, millennials pushing it. What was the phrase you used? I am a geriatric millennial. That, yeah. that is a, I looked up that phrase thing. recently and I'm not quite sure that you even fall into that bracket. I do. Go on. Okay. Um, and- I'm a very young Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And, nice. Um, and, and we, um, you know, Sarah said, oh, you know, if, if you're around, let's have a coffee. So we went for this coffee um, on a Saturday afternoon and we ended up talking and talking. I get, I'm very easily moved to tears, Kelly. This oh. is something you should know about me. Um, we talked it should have been like a two-hour coffee but it just kept going on and on and on and then you had to go off and do a show in the evening you said you want to come with me and I, I was supposed to be going somewhere else and I just didn't want to stop talking to you I just like thought I hope this never ends yeah I do I hope this conversation never ends oh. and I, I just remember thinking so, sort of thinking and this is what um I said in the speech at our wedding I said I, th- I kind of thought in my head oh it's you like you know you're the person yeah. I knew I, that was there for me. So so you knew Sarah was the person out there in the world with your name on her from when you started talking to her. And Sarah, you were like, yeah, you'll do. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, whatever. New York has nothing left for me. Let's see what I can do. 
<laughs> I heard you both talking on um, Lusander's, uh, Lusander's brilliant um, Cuddle Club podcast. I heard you talking about the different sort of styles you have, and I guess you're sort of showing them there in a way, albeit sort of humorously, but I guess with behind every humorous thing. Do you know what? Um, but we in were in terms a bad mood of, that we were night. In, we'd we had a horrible like, We love Lou. Lou is an old friend, and I, I love it so came much. Across, it came across well, but it, what struck me was that um, was that you're the other way, gender-wise, you're the opposite way around from how I always am. So I'm the Jeff. And the men I date are the you, Sarah, I think, in terms of that need for touch. And can, I'm like a little sort of a puppy or a kitten. And I'm like, just hold me and stroke me and tell me I'm amazing. And, and I need you and I need you and don't leave me, don't abandon me. And whereas I always seem to date guys who are like, yeah, OK, I've hugged you for three minutes. Okay, on the but then now. hold on, Kelly, do you know what my therapist would say about that? You're, something in you needs guys who then fill that role for you. Yeah, so I need the unavailable. You need guys. something in you would not be attracted to someone who is as available as you think you want. Yeah. But I want to say also, I don't I think that actually I think what has really been revealed about us that is very authentic is how I just need to talk and say everything. And Jeff, like I'm like, oh yeah, so Jeff had this other girlfriend when we got like Jean has special needs. Like I just I'm like I'm Get it out, very man. bad at monitoring myself. And Jeff is hyper conscious of monitoring himself. But that's not not in the context of our relationship. But not like in ev- the context of our Everything is out. Like nothing. Everything. Even stuff I want to sweep under the carpet, you won't allow that well, to happen. Between you. So behind closed doors, yes, exactly. Actually, out. we're sort of very, very even in terms of being emotional and being needy I think we're both equally needy it sort of depends on the day and then the joke that we say but like so many things there's like so much truth in it is that we'll be like well Jeff loves me more than I love him ha 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 but actually like if Jeff dropped dead tomorrow heaven forbid I genuinely think I'd never get married again like I just think that would be it for me and I'd try dating a little bit and I'd try Whatever, but I just don't think I'd ever find someone again. Whereas if I drop dead tomorrow, Jeff would be remarried within two years. Like, because, and and I'd be the, he's if he's Paul McCartney, I'd be the Linda. Like, I would be the great love, but he could not be alone. So he would find someone else who he was very happy with. So it's like, so, so both those things even out to mean that we're equally in love with each other. Let me tell you something weird. Sarah's parents came to visit recently. They quarantined with us and then did the test release. So we, we got to go for a walk. On that walk, Sarah was walking behind with her dad. I was walking ahead with her mother. Listen to what her mum asked me. She said, if Sarah died, have you thought about what you would want in your next partner? Oh, yeah, yeah. What is wrong with Wow, her? wow, wow. <laughs> but my that mother is... also is always wow. like... Um, her, That's a whole Edinburgh show right there. Her so. go-to thing is asking me if I think I'm going to get divorced. Like if I say something or do an eye roll or anything, is it's like... Does she want you to die? No, this is the thing. She, is wants, like, inti- she, would, she wants the intimacy, she wants the of, you intimacy of you opening up about yeah, your marriage. Yeah, I think that's oh, right. Okay. Because she's okay. uh, both my parents are just obsessed with Jeff. Um, and so it isn't about that but it's just like the number of times where I've said like oh I said this thing to my mom and then she was like well do you, I mean do you think you're gonna get divorced and you're like what no I'm I'm what what are you talking about it is it's because the, the kind of relationship with you as somebody who found a husband is is kind of peculiar yeah. well, on the day we got engaged yeah we were staying at this castle in Scotland. We came downstairs. How did, did you ask? Was it the traditional? <laughs> you know the story, on right? One... No, I don't think no, she I does. I, I did like a stand up bit about it, but basically. Which one did you? Was that in your first? Was it in one of? It was, was it, in... it was in my first. Yes, I do know. My, I so... do know. The toilet. Yeah. The toilet. Yeah. Yeah. I do know. Yeah. It but... was in for worse. Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. Great, so... Kelly. Very good. Great story. So, so despite the kind of scatter, We're going to put a link to for worse in the show notes. Is, it, is there a link to where people can see it? Is it on? I think, no, but. I think but they told that story on Live at the Apollo. So if that's on the internet. But only anywhere, in the 20 minute but, version. Okay. But, um, but, but anyway, um, so we, we come downstairs engaged. Sarah holds up a hand with the, the, the ring on it and your parents are, are kind of uh, pleased, overwhelmed, shocked. shocked. Your dad bursts into tears. The first thing he comes over is, uh, comes over and does it, is shakes my hand and then looks into my eyes and says, thank you. 
Wow. Like the big fear was she was going to be the spinster. And they just like it's um, like a Jane Austen novel. Like you'd say the spinster of the village. Like you could say. Now, your dad says he was joking now, but I think he's. I don't think that. And I see in his eyes. It was relief, not humor. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And I just think there's this like. There, there was just some other road I was going to go down of this woman who really wanted to be married, you know, or wanted a partner and wanted children. And it just kind of wasn't going to happen. And that was going to be this sad thing for me. And then Jeff came and saved me from that fate. And there's something in that that's real. And actually, I haven't said this to you, but I've been like, when my parents, my parents were here and I had this like one massive breakdown day where I'm still like, unpicking why I got but like do you ever have those days where like this blackness just enters you and you are in a mood yeah I have about three of those a week right right so I I would say I get one of those you know if we're the level of blackness I'm talking about I would say I get a few a year that are this bad and I just had one of them and I was in this mood and Jeff you know Jeff could feel me getting exasperated with him at every turn and so at one point he's like what what's what's going on and I just have this full heaving sob thing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and I've subsequently looked back on this day and been like, what was going on with me? As is often the case with these things, um, there were various things. But I genuinely think that one of them was it because our son is now five, he is he is getting into that age where like grandparents are the most exciting thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. he was so yeah. responsive to having my parents here. Yeah, mine are the same with theirs. Um, I also recently, which I'm not going to say to Jeff because I haven't said it to him and I think he'll get it too upset by it. But I was with some friends recently and in a funny way, this one woman said a very dark thing about time with your parents as they age. And I think I had this like come to Jesus about how little time I have left with my parents who are both in perfect health, touch wood, combined with like how actually sad it is that my kid doesn't get to see his cousins or his grandparents mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. ever. And I just because think, they're across the pond. Yeah. And Jeff's family yeah. is up in North Wales and his parents can't do, like my kid, you know, sees grandparents a couple times a year if he's yeah. lucky. Yeah. Same with cousins. And I accept that. I go, you know what? At least I met someone. At least I have a good marriage. At least I got to have a kid who gives a shit if I'm across an ocean. And I think I just like in one day was hit with the grief of how sad that is still that he doesn't Mm. get to see his grandparents. And I think that like, I think that my parents, everyone thinks that Jeff is the only one for me. That's what it is. Myself included. Don't you like that's just my parents just think that if I think that's what my mom being like. Do you think you're? Do you think you're going to get divorced? Is is there something in it? It's like, honey, you know, if you get divorced, you're never going to find someone else. Yeah, like lightning no doesn't strike twice. Yeah, in the honey, same place. lightning is not going to strike twice. <laughs> and I swear to God, and if my mother listens to this, which inevitably she will if I tweet it, yeah. you know, she'll be like, I do, you, I do not. You are out of your mind. That is coming from somewhere in you. And I'm like, bullshit. It's coming from you. It's yeah. in me. And, and we it's have coming to take Sarah's yeah. mom to yeah. prove it. Is it? Um, I think when you it, one of the you're sort of preempting the um in a way the the whole kind of I'm going through such a sort of crisis of empty nest parents. Oh, Kelly, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. And I've been. I mean, I've been crying. My son's about to leave again. He's got an amazing job as a mammal specializing zookeeper, oh. and it's his dreams. Got my daughter's moving to Madrid. Oh, and I mean, I've been. I've been an empty nester before but it is a weird it's a very very kind of weird thing but what I w- will say as well before we get into the my my three regular questions mm, which I'm going to mm. put to each of you but is that um it, well it sounds like you guys do not need relationship advice from me nobody does because my life is a hot mess but one thing I didn't realize and it is actually really lovely to hear you realizing it when you're in the relationship was not that I should still be with my kid's dad I think it was the right thing that we're not and he's got an amazing you know new partner and a lovely little kid so my kids have got another brother but it's I did not realize till I lost Ed how incredibly precious the things that kept us together all those years were Mm. and how those things don't come again I always thought I'll get another not another Ed but I thought I'll have another person who's like that and that isn't that hasn't been available. Um, I think that was my one shot at that type of a relationship doesn't mean I, I can't have other relationships and I'm with someone now I'm, I'm really into 
but it's different. So the thing you have now, there is a sort of a one shot at sharing a life and having a kid and doing stuff the way you're doing it in a way, even though people go again and get remarried. So what I'm saying is stay in the rut out there. Stay no in matter the rut, how deep the rut, rut stay plow in the furrow, even <laughs> if the furrow makes you sick, just keep plowing it in the hope that something fertile. Oh, well, that's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> OK, let's move on because Dr. Freud is calling. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste motherfucking moment? So I have two. One is very, very dark, but I'll try and present it in like a fun way. Or I'll, I'll say the lighter one first. That's your USP, dark in a fun way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So the, a few months ago, I want to say, Jeff and I were talking about something and I would have been running around obsessing about some comedy related. This person got this, you know, hyper competitive, uh, like comparison uh, moment. You just described me. Right. Well, it's, it's a description of like any comedian, basically. And I also think like anyone who works in some kind of creative field. And I, Jeff, we were having some conversation and Jeff went, well, I'm paraphrasing here, but he went, well, but this is our thing. Like, we both have, like, such complicated relationships to our jobs. And I went, D- well, wait, I don't think I have a complicated relationship to my job. I think I'm like, oh, I discovered really what I wanted to do and really went for it at 35. And I'm, oh, I, I just know. You know, he's like, but you're miserable in it half the time. And I was like, and that, t- I didn't think I came across that way. And the idea that like half the time, instead of really loving what I'm lucky enough to do, I'm like focusing on all these incredibly depressing and unimportant aspects of it. I was like, I refuse to live that life. So I'm going Mm. to like whatever needs to go into me enjoying the right things and ignoring the bullshit I will do that. Like that, that mm-hmm. is now becoming one of my major goals that I work on in whatever capacity every single day, as long as I am working as a stand up comic. And what's your second uh, moment? Oh, this is the really dark one, but there is a book called. We are coming to you, Jeff. It's You're a, important too. A short story. He probably doesn't want to do one, so you can use both of mine and maybe he'll sit it right. out unless you've got He's one. He's lucky but... to be here, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a very famous short story collection by this American writer named Laurie Moore called Birds of America. And I read it over 10 years ago. So well before I knew Jeff and long before I ever had a kid. And one of the short stories is about a mother whose child gets ill. And it's a short story. You never see where, you know, where it all goes. But there's this moment th- that she conveys brilliantly where it's like if something like that happens to you your entire life is divided into a before and after Mm. and the idea that anything in the before has ever ever troubled you in the after will seem like the most ludicrous Mm. moment of your life like just it will be incomprehensible to you that your Mm -hmm. before life will have seen anything other than completely blessed and beautiful Mm -hmm. and so I just try to remember that like every day that I am healthy and that my husband and child are healthy. This is just the life of the before. This is just perfect. Like, we just mm-hmm. live a perfect life. And that mm-hmm. moment of reading that book helped me connect to that. And that is one of my great gifts, darling, is perspective. I'm going to put that um, the link to the book in the podcast, as great. well as a link to Live at the Apollo, Would I Lie to You, and everything that you've insisted I put in the show notes. Perfect. So thank <laughs> really you for job, that, darling. Sarah. No problem. Um, uh, thank you. No, those are, those are great. I was um, being giddy uh, and silly while having goosebumps. So uh, so thank you for those. And Jeff, what's uh, what's yours? I mean, to Your some namaste extent. Namaste motherfucking moment. To some extent. You can't say the same book. <laughs> to, to some extent, I... Like I'm still hoping for it. I think part of what keeps me going is that there's going to be this one one moment where somebody says, "Oh, you're just thinking about it wrong," and if you just flip your perspective, then you're going to feel fine and you're going to feel happy and and satisfied. Although you used a phrase earlier, which was I can't remember the exact wording, but it was to do with the the grief uh, coming to terms with the grief of your life not quite working out what you, mm. uh, as, as being what you thought it was going to mm. be. Um, so, so maybe, maybe you were my moment there, Kelly, but I don't know. I mean, it feels like probably getting sober is the one Yeah, for me. Um, I remember 
when I first started in radio, I was really young, like 17 years old, working at this local radio station in Manchester. And there was a pub next door where everyone used to to go at lunchtime and after work. And I'd sit around with these people who, like looking back on it, they're in their 30s, they were 40s. Some of them were just, to this day, the funniest people I've mm. ever met. I was lucky enough to to work and be taken under the wing of Craig Cash. So mm. I'd, I'd sit in the pub with these people and they'd be so funny. Mm. And I'd be like this 17 or 18 year old kid having nothing to say, feeling like I was, you know, just I had no personality. Mm-hmm. And then I started drinking and I had stuff to say and I found myself funny and I, I'm sure I wasn't. But so, so for a long time, like my sense of my own personality being interesting to other people was I, I had to be drunk. And I was just, you know, I was just drunk all the time. When did, had you stopped drinking when you met Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I stopped drinking oh, pretty young. Sober. Yeah. Well, interestingly, so Jeff had his 20th sober anniversary in January so weirdly he was sober 10 years by the time we met and has right. subsequently so you weren't sober. part of it because they I've dated a couple of um no and I think addicts and alcoholics it's never a great it's, it's not a good it's, it's not a good point in the first just... year steer clear dear. well that's yeah. that's well, what they say I mean I never did AA yeah. but that's that's what they say in those yeah. groups isn't it around those rooms reason. but I, for, for a long time even when I could feel that my life was becoming really chaotic and I was becoming like a bad friend and like a, a an erratic employee and and all the worrying to people and all that stuff uh, the thing in my head would always be but oh god you'd have nothing to say you wouldn't be interesting or funny or whatever if you if you stop drinking which is why a lot of people drink i had yeah. like most of my yeah my best friends from then when i was that mess and when i was drinking all the time are pretty much still my best friends now and sarah did a, a lovely thing where she collected some nice messages on the my uh, 20th sober anniversary and yeah, you know, no, no matter what I think about myself, people seem to prefer me. You sober do still have a personality. To, well, I, I, don't, I don't know, that. but well, then you the were, other thing is, <laughs> I went to this wedding a few years in of sobriety, and weddings I was, are tough sober. They really well, are. Awful. I, I barely drink, and they're awful. very hard when you don't drink. And I was on yeah. this table with somebody who, and it was in Manchester, you know, where people say what they think. Um, yeah. And I was on a table with somebody I'd known almost exclusively when I was drunk. And at some point of the evening, she announced to everybody on the table, see him, he used to be a funny fucker, but now he doesn't drink. He's a boring bastard. He hasn't said anything funny all night. And I thought, well, there's there's my inner monologue. I mean, that that's yeah. what I think. And there it is being confirmed by somebody else. And they do say the words, the words of drunk women at Manchester weddings are always to be absolutely listened yeah. to. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, what yeah. she thought was very insightful. Yeah. But I do think so, she's kind well, of right. But the, uh, you know, the pros outweigh the cons, I guess. Well, you, I suspect that's not right, or you wouldn't be doing quite so well as the voice that the nation listens to. But well, I'm going to remember all yes. of that. All I'm going to edit is the bit where you said, Kelly, I think maybe you're my moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, just keep it there. That's, that's all Sarah can remember of that bit as well. So I'll leave you guys to work that one out. Um, two last questions for each of you. So um, what is your favorite joke? I think that, um, you know, one of our most talented colleagues is the comic Finn Taylor. I just, mm-hmm. I think he's Agreed. brilliant. Yeah. And we yeah. saw his 2018 Edinburgh show, um, which I think was called when Harassi met Sally. And there's this, and, and what I think Jeff and I have said to each other, like privately is it was this really excellent show about the gray area. You know, the, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. in politics and life and all of that. And so he does this joke where he's sort of talking about like it, he he makes the point that sometimes there is stuff that is like women are this way and men are this way. And that mm-hmm. feels like such an unfashionable mm-hmm. thing to say. But I'm like, yeah, that's fucking true in some ways. And does this bit about how like a man would that a friend, a female friend of his at one point is like, Ugh. I'd let that guy finger me, but I hate the shirt he's wearing. And that like, that you that, that would never come out. Oh, like a man would never be like, I'd let her blow me, but I don't like the outfit. And I just, I thought it was one of the most beautifully written and observed bits of stand-up I'd heard at the Fringe that Amazing. year. Amazing. Jeff? Thank you. And Jeff, yeah, you, you, it's kind of hard to ask uh, for two female comedians or any, any gender identifying comedians to ask a non-comedian 
for his favourite joke. Not to say you're not comedic, but yeah, even I, without the alcohol to make you funny, do you have a favourite <laughs> joke you could deliver for us? You see, I, I'm, a, I'm a comedy fan, but I'm not, I, I'm not a great joke fan. Although I, th- I think when you're younger and your neural pathways are, are still uh, forming, maybe those types of jokes are funnier than they are now where you kind of know where everything's going. But there was, there was... I think all jokes are funnier when your neural pathways haven't formed. I like my audience is half formed. I do like that one. It's a little bit long-winded, though, and I'm not a joke teller, but I'll, I'll, I'll try it. So it's um, a, a guy... So I was going to have to get a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see what's going on. But on I also Instagram. hate, like, I, I was listening to, I won't say who, but I, I was listening to one of your episodes where somebody gave you a joke and you you traded them and the thing is about these kind of pub jokes you have feel you have to perform the laughter but it's not real laughter so I, I'll, I'll are tell you saying you, I faked it with well, one he, of my guests. He, he did you did we all are I mean this is the point yeah right um you know if it's some knock knock joke out of a kid's book oh, we, no, know know it's, we know where it's going. we know where it's going we know where it's going yeah um so anyway, so, so, so and and I know now my price for um, setting it up. Did like you that like is, the rest of the podcast? I loved though, it, loved so. it. I mean, and <laughs> oh, the, good, the person in, in, in uh, I love the yeah. podcast. I find Don't it. Don't put listeners off, please. So uh, you know, it's so interesting as a premise. This person is a friend of mine. I learned things about him that I didn't know from good. real life. So well saved, sir. Yes. So, um, but and and now I know what what I'm the price I'm going to pay for setting up like that is you are both going to feel obliged to sit stony face straight afterwards to prove yeah, that you're going to have to get me on one of your podcasts yeah. to make up for what potentially might be lit- uh, yeah, libelous yes yeah <laughs> so a, a guy goes a guy goes into a pub uh, and he's he's waiting to order his drink there's another guy at the, at the bar they sort of raise eyebrows and say hello to each other and he says you're right mate he says, yeah. he says uh, oh what's your name he says oh, I'm Dave what's your name oh I'm Dave too Oh, nice to meet you. Shake hands. Uh, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm, I'm a beekeeper. He says, you're a beekeeper? He says, yeah. He says, I'm a beekeeper as well. Says, we're, we're both beekeepers. That, that's amazing. Well, I mean, what are the chances of that happening? He says, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So so how many uh, how many bees do you keep? He says, I've got about uh, 30,000. All right. And how many, uh, how many hives do you keep those 30,000 bees in? He says, they're spread across five or six hives. So right, right, right. What about you? He says, oh, I've got a million bees. So you've got a million bees? How many hives do you need for that? He says, oh, just the one. He says, you keep a million bees in one hive? The other guy goes, uh, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. I, I don't understand the joke. So I think I think wh- you did a great telling of it. I just don't, I genuinely don't Thank understand you. it. So so I think I think, <laughs> and I think the best jokes are the ones you have to yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah, always. Um, I think what's at the heart of it is um, this man's disregard for his bees, right. juxtaposed with the other man's careful care as a beekeeper. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think the Guardian readers are going to understand it, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also yeah. I would like to say Sarah had the face of a regret counsellor, like I'm just going to wait for <laughs> to finish this and then I'm going to come in with my reply. Oh. So whatever the joke was, she was going to say, I don't it get it. It was very well told, honey. Well, I, 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 It really was. Mm. It's I nice like to it. be patronised by a former moth storyteller, I think. Ab- isn't abs- it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although you will um, sometimes run stuff by me and I'm quite brutal, so I feel that was you getting your revenge. Oh, yeah. But, but, but you know, that's the thing I actually... And like she has done you. shows that have had you feature in them in varying degrees of uh, respectful kindness. Yeah, not, yeah, always, but, not uh, always flattering. Always yeah, but, funny, but not always flattering. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, each, as a final question, uh, if you had one bit of life advice you could give to anyone listening, what would it be from each of you? Comparison is at the root of most dissatisfaction. Oh, I love that. Say that one more time. Comparison is at yeah. the root of most dissatisfaction. Wow. You might have just saved me two of my three black days a week. There you go. That shit. There you Thank go. Thank you. Namaste, motherfucker. Namaste, motherfucker. <laughs> Jeff. How do I follow that? that though? My, my that can very be, hard to You're follow. the one who said that. To me. Like I know about that from you. So but isn't this always be, the way? Yeah, I say something quietly. You say it louder and get I, all the credit for it. Genuinely, Jeff says like funny stuff, and I'm like, oh, I'll take that, or oh, I'll repeat that, and I, I'm That's constantly great. like thieving from him. So what a great really, marriage. Jeff made that. Jeff was like, have you ever thought? And I was like, That's really good. I have to keep that in mind. So can that yeah. function on behalf of? Can that be both of our answers? <laughs>
wonderful Jeff Lloyd and Sarah Barron and I feel we should also give a shout out to their brilliant kid Jean. Now every episode I pick a thing inspired by my guest or in this case guests that I'm going to try. Cards on table motherfuckers I'm in week three of a breakup so this was interesting timing to be doing this podcast thank you universe. So in between bouts of crying and going out way too much, I am going to reread Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity. It's a book which looks at the conflict between desire and domestication. Fun times. But actually, in seriousness, her podcast, Where Should We Begin, is a brilliant, brilliant listen and has helped me through lots of things in the last couple of years. And her TED Talk is as good a use of 18 minutes as you are likely to find. Um, And on the plus side, now that the men in my household have flown the nest, by the way, that's my partner and my adult son, I wasn't in a throuple, there's no one to pee on the toilet seat. Or if there is, I've only myself to blame. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and was produced by Mike Hansen and Karu Shadami for Pod People Productions. Music by Jake Yap. If you've liked today's show, please subscribe now on your favourite podcast app and also rate and review the show. Not because I'm needy and crave external affirmation, but because it helps other people find the show. So that's the show for this week. Thank you so much to Jeff and Sarah for joining me. That was our first couples episode of Namaste Motherfuckers, so special occasion. Um, You can find details of what they're both up to and Esther Perel's work on the show notes. We'll be back in your feed next Monday when I'll be talking to founder of the Hoffman Process UK, best friend of Jane Horrocks and James Bond star, Serena Gordon. I sometimes think some of the best actors and comedians are actually incredibly introvert, shy people who just have this alter ego. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.